0: Using Arweave can be kind of daunting, right? Even without using the CLI, because Web3 is a lot of engineering, a lot of coding. And you, as an artist, you have those skills and you're willing to figure it out. But that's it's good to hear that it only took like an hour and a half to move the stuff over. So that means it's working.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, for me, it's, it's relatively easy because I have a small collection.
0: You're tuned to the RCast, where we talk about the blockchain on the R-cast. And how your data remains. the Well, R-Drive is the topic. Censorship-resistant permanence. Yeah, we got it. You're listening to the R-Cast. This is episode 21 with Zavi Zed, who is an NFT artist who did the Dragon Turtles, which was our collab with the Ever Finance team. Uh, you may have seen that. It was pretty exciting. He now has a new project called Tar and Sugar, and he explains a lot about his Artistic inspiration, the NFT community, how he used RDrive drive to back up his work, and it's a pretty interesting interview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mina, who are our cryptocurrency accounting friends in the UK. Uh, be sure to keep following us on Twitter because Anthony's been posting some cool R-Drive facts. We're posting a lot of stuff on TikTok these days, and Inferno is still blazing. So if you upload that flavor you'll be an R-Drive token saver. Okay. Okay. So anyway, here's my interview with Zabi on the R-Cast. Zabi, thank you for having time to talk. You've been super helpful with educating the community about permanence and NFT art. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a big fan of of weave, of R-Drive, everything that you're doing in the space, providing an alternative, a Web3 alternative to IPFS and uh, the various apps that are built on it. So it's really exciting to be here. Thank you.
0: How did you discover Rweave in the first place?
1: So Rweave was one of the first uh, blockchain technologies that I heard about just through online news, just learning about the, the concept of having a permaweb that would store censored articles through the permaweb or uh, create a repository of information about the war in the Ukraine. Um, a lot of these, these headline articles were really intriguing to me. And you know, I knew some people that were involved with uh, our drive, your current director of design is a, is a friend in real life. So that was kind of my portal into it. And, yeah, it's, it's been, um, you know, it's not an easy transition to move from the sort of Web2 storage world into Web3. There's just a few little things that I think uh, make the user experience a little, there's just a tiny bit of friction. But to the extent possible, I think that R drive has eliminated, you know, probably 95% of that friction. And so it actually was fairly easy. It took me maybe, and I'm not particularly technical, um, but it probably only took me maybe an hour, an hour and a half to figure out how to move my stuff over from Pinata to R-Drive.
0: Using R-Weave can be kind of daunting, right? Even without using the CLI, because Web3 is a lot of engineering, a lot of coding, and you as an artist, you have those skills and you're willing to figure it out. But that's it's good to hear that it only took like an hour and a half to move the stuff over. So that means it's working.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, the, you know, for me, it's it's relatively easy because I have a small collection. Um, I'm not dealing with with heaps of metadata, heaps of JSON files. And I think as the tools progress, um, some of the some tools that might come out that the community might develop include things like an automated process for pulling. Uh, metadata from IPFS onto Arweave, for example, and and just more more of the automation. Um, but even at the moment, it's it's fairly straightforward through manifests for people who have larger generative NFT series where they they need a base uh, base URI followed by a unique identifier. So I think a lot of the tools already exist. It's just a question of, I guess, connecting people to the tools and the resources that they need. So I've found that you guys are actually really good at that with YouTube and uh, just through your website, pointing out a lot of these resources. So it's been a, it's, it, was, it was actually just kind of a nice coincidence that I started working on. The Dragon Turtle project with R Drive and EverPay as the artist at around the same time that Pinata was changing its terms. And so it's not that they've eliminated the free option, it's just that um, it's a lot more limited than it used to be in terms of how many files you can actually pin and the total amount of storage. So around the same time that I realized that I wanted to switch to something. That's pay once, store forever, where I don't have to worry about changing terms of service. I don't have to worry about an expiring credit card or a price jack that then means that I'm scrambling to save my NFT collection. Really, to protect my collectors, protect my holders, I needed to find a a permanent solution. And I think our drive is very well-positioned to do that
0: it's about mass adoption right and making it feel like the tools are there
1: i just did a, a twitter post um just for the very simple task of moving a small collection without using manifest or anything like that um and then i also posted that in a few different artists collectives that i'm part of through discords and i had A handful of people reached out to me actually and and had questions and um, I was able to point them to the R drive discord and different tools. And, and I had at least I'd say three or four artists recently convert their, their collections from, from IPFS to, to weave. So that's been rewarding as well, just to see them. And they've all been super impressed with, the speed of it, I mean, the, the speed once, you know, it takes, you have to be patient getting the file sufficient block confirmations to be, to confirm that it's stored. But once you have it there, it's just so fast compared to anything that I'd seen before. So that makes a big difference with a lot of these, you know, 3D artists, artists using um, animations and MP4 videos for their NFTs those sorts of files used to take, you know, with IPFS, a lot longer to to load for the marketplaces and whatnot. So it's just, it's made a big difference for them. And even for those who have smaller collection in terms of the actual uh, amount of storage that they require, it's just, it's nice to know that you're paying once, and it's upfront. And for me, I think I paid 35 cents US or 25 cents US, something like that, for my existing collection. That's pretty good. Which is, it's pretty good forever yeah. versus like potentially paying, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Thank you for doing the Twitter thread. I remember that was very helpful and it got a lot of engagement because people were like, oh, there, there must be an easy way to do this. This guy's done it. When did you first start drawing and who are some of your favorite influences?
1: I actually. Hadn't drawn for about a decade until really NFTs drew me back into artistic pursuits. So I had pretty much I would always been artistic growing up, and in high school I would get in trouble. I have distinct memories of, of teachers, you know, getting really mad at me because I'd be drawing instead of paying attention in class, or I'd have like my my sketchbook out and I'd be doing this intricate drawing. And they would, you know, they, they were mad because it was just so blatant that I wasn't paying attention. Um, but when it came to my academic life, I decided to go to first to a liberal arts college. I got a BA and studied you know, philosophy and literature. And then I went to law school. And the last you know, 10 years of my life were just focused on building up my law career and working really hard at that. But when I got into NFTs uh, this past January, I met some really cool artists, and they were so supportive. And something that's unique about lasting NFT communities is that there's really no um, gatekeeper, or you just you have direct access to the people that you're that whose art you're collecting. So. I would go and watch live streams by these amazing artists, many of whom are from Australia, halfway across the world, and I'm watching them put together a character. And then I'm thinking, well, I would love to try to get back into creating characters and doing art and cartooning and all that stuff that I I used to enjoy doing. So I just started doing it and kind of showing them my progress. And they just kept saying... Just keep at it. Just put in more hours, put in more time. Uh, Don't give up. You know, you got to, I think at that point, it's about shedding some of these artificial, you know, dichotomies that we have between artists and collectors. I feel like everybody, every human being is an artist, whether we like it or not. We each have ways that we need to express ourselves. We have needs associated with that. We have different ways of doing it but we each have that artistic potential and so i just kept working at it harder and harder putting in you know at first only a few hours into a piece and then eventually 15 20 30 hours into a single piece to see where i could take it and at that time i i decided that i wanted to explore rubber hose Animation style, which is uh, became popular, kind of in the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. You think about, you know, Betty Boop, Felix the Cat, Mickey Mouse, uh, Scrappy. Um, you know, there's there's endless examples from that era. It kind of grew out of uh, comic strips. It became the the first distinctive animation style, and So I drew a lot of inspiration from that era and something that's really fascinating about it, about that era is that it blends together a bunch of really, it it wasn't all about, um, entertainment. It's not really even designed to entertain children, which is what we think of now when we think about cartoons, there's a lot of darker themes, a lot of adult themes. Um, some of them are, are scary. Uh, you know, there's tons of these, Shocking transformations and they're playing with some really dark concepts sometimes. And I think a lot of that comes from the era in which they were created, it being, you know, the Great Depression and the, um, and also the, the musical influence of swing jazz and big band music and whatnot. So uh, I try to draw a lot on this rubber hose era. I think it's really fun. It's had a bit of a revival with modern video games like uh, Cuphead and Bendy. And then also the the name of my main collection is Tar and Sugar. So that draws inspiration from the Tar and Sugar era of classical animation, which is just after the Rubber Hose era. So that would be sort of in the 19 19- 1934 to 1937, with the creation of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And you have these classic films that are, are both, they have moments of darkness and, and, you know, they're just utterly terrifying, followed by moments that are sweet. And so it highlights all of the ups and downs of human experience, which is what my overall artistic vision is to try to Draw upon all of it, right? The good and the bad, the, um, to, to, to combine those and fuse those elements together. So it's kind of, it's hard to describe it in words, but that's where I go, try to go with my, my tar and sugar pieces.
0: That's the animation style from the 30s.
1: Yeah. So tar and sugar is used to describe, uh, historically the golden age of Disney filmmaking from sort of 19, 19- 37 when snow white and the seven dwarves is released all the way up to like Bambi in 1942. And that era is it's considered to be the the best of Disney and also the, the era that really captured that um, ability to move between comic and dramatic or more kind of, horror themes in, in a single film, mm. which you don't really see with a lot of the later Disney movies. So that's, and I, when I, I just had that in my mind as a really cool name for, for a collection and it captures what I'm trying to do with the art, which is to be able to explore like cute, fun characters, but also um, scary, darker themes in the same piece. There are a number of, of spooky short films that Disney produced um, and also the, the Fleischer studios with Betty Boop. I think one of my favorites is um, Snow White, which has a soundtrack by Cab Calloway, a really nice jazz soundtrack. Hmm. And uh, there's also the uh, Swing You Sinners, which is another bimbo slash Betty Boop kind of macabre film, short film, short animation. And um, you get these sort of, you know, stream of consciousness scenes where anything that's involved in the scene can transform into a character. And and then it just kind of flows together in, in a psychedelic way. Those productions
0: were so expensive and had so many people. And I guess that's what's interesting about like the new NFT era and like the new animation and like people who create things like it's just you. How do you find time to design
1: all this stuff? I I just do one of one art at the moment. So I create a piece. I'll bring a piece to an auction house maybe once every two weeks, if I'm lucky, Uh, sometimes every three weeks. So I'm just doing it on weekends, evenings, that kind of thing. But a lot of my my friends in the NFT space, they do it either full time full time and they're they're working on larger generative collections um, where they might ultimately end up with thousands of of NFTs being minted and sold. But no, I I don't have anybody helping me. I do also help out in the community. I help out other people's projects. um, and I'm, you know, I'm really excited. To be able to participate in some larger projects that way where everybody's chipping in. And I think ultimately that's kind of the the future of NFTs as I see it, at least right now, is the NFT projects that will succeed are those that will create a lasting community through a fun interactive experience. Because I think what brings people initially to NFTs is that kind of sensation of opening a pack of pokemon trading cards and wanting to see you know whether you got a rare and then maybe trading or or flipping them and having fun online through just online trading and uh online marketplaces but the longer you you spend in the space you realize that it's re- what it's really about is about relationships and friendships and um Storytelling and you know kind of building a community that mutually appreciates an artist and a world and engaging in that world building exercise and so it's not really just about owning a piece of, of that art um, on the blockchain it's it's really about being able to participate in a community and have really fun, interactive experience, whether it's games or quests or, or what have you. And a lot of this stuff just takes place on Discord and Twitter and whatnot. So it's, it's an online you know, community of, of like-minded people who ultimately end up forging friendships together.
0: Mm, that's really cool. It's that idea of decentralization instead of one mass media company making a movie the world watches. It's a bunch of these smaller communities who create and collect and share these stories, and I think that's really cool. That's like the that's the shift in culture now, and Web three makes that permanent. What are your favorite programs for illustrating with?
1: Right now, I'm I'm just using Procreate um, for line drawing and for illustration, and then I recently started experimenting with pixel art as well through. Pixaki, also on the iPad. So it's, yeah, it's a very simple setup. Procreate makes it very easy and inexpensive to get started with drawing just the iPad Pro um, with the large screen and you're off to the races. Yeah, it's, it's super easy to get started doing it and it's a lot of fun. And there are a lot of people online that you can chat with. And I do occasionally, I do live streaming in different discords where I'll be creating a piece and I'll have a handful of people watching and, you know, um, just chatting and maybe giving some feedback. And then I have mentors who I send my pieces to and they critique them and I try to incorporate that. So it's a really nice uh, community experience to, to start creating art in that way. And um, I think that's really what where people will get a lot of benefit out of the NFT world is more so in terms of developing whether whatever talent it is that you think that you'd like to develop, whether it's story writing, art, uh, community building, you know, organizing games, all those things, world building, whatever it is that, that interests you, there is an outlet for that. There is a community for you out there. And so really, it's just about getting involved and making things happen, which is, you know, the, that's the way to be, to be active and to be pushing yourself to gain some really cool skills.
0: Years ago, a company had to decide you were good enough to work for Marvel or Disney or major record label. Uh, it didn't matter if you had all these things in your
1: house. Now you can just create these worlds on an iPad and communities it's It's important, and I think there's there's even more that we haven't we're still so early in this space that there's still so much that we haven't been able to accomplish and I've been reading about you know atomic nFTs through our weave, where the metadata, the image, the smart weave contract, the token, everything is stored seamlessly on the Arweave blockchain, for example. So that would be another evolution that people are already doing, but to make it more mainstream in a way with, with uh, mainstream marketplaces and collectors, I think that's something that might, we might see. Um, there's always more, more experiments. That's, that's kind of the fun thing about it is that we're all experimenting and trying out new things and seeing what works and what doesn't work and just learning through you know the the downturn in the market the people who are sticking around um, during the crypto bear market are the ones who are are building and who are interested in gaining those skills and uh, and and gaining something out of it other than money really because you know that that might've brought a lot of people in during the bear, uh, the bull market, but it's certainly not drawing people in right now. So you have to be interested in something else. And that's also yeah. a cool kind of culling mechanism that is happening. The fact that you can do a lot with it, it feels like the
0: early years of the internet. Is there anything, Zavi, you can like talk about that you're working on, unless it's super secret?
1: Yeah. So there's a, a project that is going on called the block party, which is a way to get people together, um, collectors on both, you know, phantom blockchain and also avalanche blockchain predominantly. But the, the block party is a discord giveaway party that people are organizing just as a fun event for the community. And there will be, there's going to be a really cool mint called Hopping Chains, which is a frog-themed mint by a project called Froporion that will be both on Phantom and Avalanche featuring a bunch of really great one-of-one artists and an opportunity to mint some of their art at a very reasonable entry point. Um, there's going to be an auction that I'm going to be participating in through something called the Honeypot Gang, um, their community collection. And there's going to be just a ton of giveaways. And uh, so that's this Saturday, August 27th, I believe it's 8:30 p.m. UTC. And to enter those giveaways, you have to mint a single block party token on Phantom, uh, which is about 20 Phantom, but there's tiered entry points, so if you mint more, you can get more entries. But it's just kind of a fun event to bring people you know, to put some eyes on the artists, put some eyes on the community and get people to come together for a fun event during, you know, the the market downturn. So this will be the second one. The last one was, was a lot of fun as well. And then this Sunday at uh, it's 1pm Mountain Time. It's the, this thing called Tomb Heads <laughs> Auction House it's their one year anniversary. So tomb heads is sort of the main NFT auction house in the phantom ecosystem. And it's where all of our, you know, best artists go to auction off their stuff. And we're having a themed anniversary auction where every piece will be somehow related to the history of tomb heads over the past year. And, uh, it's just it's going to be a lot of fun as well. I think there's about fifty different artists participating, so it's it's going to be nuts.
0: Wow, that's that's very sprawling. Like the um, the ever financed one you did with Dragon Turtles. I loved how you had all the background behind each turtle and the story and the philosophy around it. Like people who are listening to the cast who may not know about all this stuff, just be sure to follow Xavi Zed on Twitter. It's X A V I Z E D D. Yeah, man. Any other thoughts before we Sign off because I know we talked a lot of about a lot of stuff. But any other things we didn't cover?
1: Well, I'm I'm just excited for. I, I think the plan for phase two of the Dragon Turtles is to launch the PermaPunks, which are the pixelated um, elephant pets as atomic NFTs. I think the only thing that's holding that back is kind of the existence of a. NFT marketplace on Arweave where people could actually trade them and use them as, as assets. Um, so that's something that is exciting. I'm, I'm keeping my eye out. And if that doesn't happen, if for whatever reason an NFT auction house or NFT marketplace does not crop up on Arweave within a reasonable amount of time, then the plan would probably be not to use them as atomic NFTs, but similar to the Dragon Turtles, to have them minted on a blockchain, whether it's Ethereum or Phantom or Avalanche, or maybe several different blockchains, and then have all the metadata and the images stored on, on Arweave. Mm, but we awesome. are excited, excited for this. It's going to be a fun little small collection of pixel art and uh, true to the themes of Arweave with the elephants. and. I think it'll be it'll be a fun little collectible for people. Essentially, the reason why you need the Ethereum address is because the Dragon Turtle NFT is minted on Ethereum. It's an ERC token. Um, so it it relies on the Ethereum virtual machine. There's a, a contract, each NFT collection has its own smart contract that tracks how many tokens are minted, their numbering, which Wallet address they currently reside in, all transfers, everything that happens with those NFTs is recorded forever in that smart contract. So, but the metadata and the images are all stored on Arweave instead of IPFS. Um, and that's typically how NFT projects use Arweave currently, is through that having a, a an NFT on. A popular blockchain that has lots of NFT marketplaces, and then using Arweave weave for storage. But in the future, there's no reason why the atomic NFTs, which are, are going to combine um, smart weave, smart contracts with storage so that everything's in one place. There's no reason why that wouldn't evolve into an NFT marketplace, if there's interest from the community. So uh, that's kind of what I've been keeping my eye out for in terms of launching the next phase. But if it doesn't happen, then we'll make it happen on another blockchain. Thank you for sharing that, man. It's awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Andrew. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, Zavi. Great interview. Great episode. Be sure to check out those exciting new NFT auctions he was talking about. And we'll see you next time with some more podcast permanence excitement. I'm Andrew. This has been the Arcast. Thanks for listening.